So if you've ever held your breath, uh, me and my brother, we used to hold our breath in the bathtub. Um, wearing our swimming trunks, we would take turns. And, and the longer you hold your breath, the more that it is um, compelling to think about that breath and when it's going to happen. Now, I can remember doing this when I was five and six and seven years old, holding my breath. And I hated it. I hated it. It was awful. The, the, the entire experience of being in the bathtub without oxygen was awful. But there was this thing that it was like, but, but when I quit holding my breath, then, then um, I will have a record, or then I'll compete with my brother, or then whatever. You know, there was like, there was a future. I will, I will enjoy that then, but I'm going to hold my breath now. And I found that so much about my life especially my early adult life, and even today at different times, I'm holding my breath. I don't feel like I'm living my life. I feel like one day I will, whenever, whatever happens, I'm done with this project, when I meet that person, when I have enough money, when I sit 10 years of Zazen, when, you know, whatever it is, there will be this time in the future where then I will arrive. Um, But right now I'm not really living my life. I'm holding my breath. And Zen talks about letting the present moment catch on fire. Even the mundane things catch on fire. And it's really strange to think about something catching on fire that's mundane when to you what it feels like in your body is mundane. And it's hard to describe to yourself what it would be like if it was any different. And as a Buddhist practitioner... You can even do that with Buddhism and think, when will I be the calm, serene, wise, connected, settled person? You know, there might be somebody else that's like that, but I'm not there yet. I'm not that person. And so what about now? You know, I was talking about, you know, a mundane thing, like, let's say, making your bed, doing the dishes, vacuuming, um, holding on, you know, customer service, something that's mundane, what would it be like if that felt differently? It's hard to actually describe to yourself where you will arrive with the mind that you have now because you're talking about having a mind that will engage things differently because the mind has morphed into something different. So you can't plan it with that mind. It's like describing to somebody um, what water is like and they've never seen a liquid. How hard is that? There are gifts that you can have in your life as far as a human being that you, that me, have never comprehended. It's like, oh, that can feel that way. And that is the thing that Zen is trying to teach us in regard to the mundane, in regard to the thing that we are are, are averse to, that we want to push away. That it actually can resonate and be held in a way in us that we can't comprehend right now, or else we'd be holding it that way right now. And we'd be calm, and we'd be in a place where the present moment is catching on fire, like Technicolor being splashed on a black and white real film. That would already be happening. And it's like going you know, to your favorite restaurant. And you get there, and your table's not ready. And so what happens? Well, you've got to sit in the waiting room. 
that crowded waiting room with all those other people that you didn't really choose to be around. And you can smell that food and you can see other people doing that thing that you want to do. But right now, all you've got is this crowded little waiting room with no food. Do I wish away those seconds? Am I not alive right now? Am I holding my breath? One day I will be at that table and my food will be there and then I will eat. And how many times have you been in the middle of a great meal and you're thinking about dessert or thinking about like another drink or thinking about maybe what you're going to do when they bring the bill quick enough because we have to get to the show or, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's an endless, it's an endless mentality. There's a thing that um, we, we say in Zen is that all moments matter, even this one. And when we sit Zazen, we talk about it being the most important thing you could be doing in the universe. It's like, well, that seems a little hyperbolic. But if that's what I'm going to do for the next 10 minutes, why not do it that way? Like, with everything, you know? If you are demonstrating your life to someone else, this is how you make your bed with just you in the bed and you are using Zen principles and you are just not daydreaming or thinking about work or listening to music or a podcast or it's just me in the bed. This is how you do it. And this is how you do it with like, this is the most important thing to do on the planet is me in the bed. And I'm going to show you how to do it. And you're kind of demonstrating how to do that to someone else. You know, Try that out. Demonstrate that to yourself. Demonstrate actually making that activity that you're doing important because that's what you're going to do. And so don't wish it away. As a central tenet in Buddhism, we suffer because we hold our suffering and engage our suffering in a way that does not let it subside but perpetuates more suffering. And the very existence of a desire to have the suffering subside creates a clinging to an idea that causes more suffering. I'll read this one more time. As a central tenet in Buddhism, we suffer because we hold our suffering, i.e. a mundane moment, or maybe a really annoying moment, or maybe a trial that you're going through, or maybe something that you just don't want to be happening on Muni that's happening, or somebody at work that you just don't want to have them be that way, or the, the person in that meeting, or that person that you live with, the thing that you don't want to have be that way. A central tenet of Buddhism is we suffer because we hold our suffering, the suffering around that person in that meeting, and engage our suffering in a way that does not let it subside but perpetuates more suffering, and the very existence of a desire to have the suffering subside, the desire to have it subside. It doesn't mean you don't do things that might make stuff better. There's a lot of stuff in life that we can't control. There's a lot of stuff that we can't control. In fact, more, more stuff than what we might realize we can't control happens. How we hold it has to do with how it morphs inside us and where we will be in order to arrive for the next moment how spacious, how aware, how clear about how to act and how to be. But if I'm sitting in Zazen, and this is why Zazen is so beautiful, is we do this every single morning, 
and this is our practice for life. We sit, and it's called the school of immovable sitting. So it's, it's a human construct. We came up with this thing about, okay, don't move. You know, there's nothing holy about it until it takes off for an individual, and it helps them actually be in the moment. So you're sitting there, and you're trying not to move, and you're having a good sit, and things are going pretty well, and then all of a sudden, your nose starts itching. And it starts itching really bad. And you were having a nice sit, but now your nose is itching. Now, it's called the school of immovable sitting, so you don't want to be the nose-scratching person. But, I mean, it is just a human construct, so why not just scratch your nose? Okay, now I'm being reactionary. Okay, and you start doing this whole meta thing in your head about your nose. What if you just let it be and you let it hang out and do what it does? It's the itch on your nose. And you're just going to let it be there. And you're not going to wish it away. Like, I can't wait until I get to that moment when my nose isn't itching and then I'll have the zazen thing again. The, the nice sit. I can't wait until I quit holding my breath and then I can breathe some oxygen. But until then, I'm not going to be alive. That's what it's teaching us every morning is how to be with the stuff that we can't control. A lot of things we can't control. The people at work, the people we live with, the people in our family, the people on the bus, the people in society, politicians, artists, all sorts of things that we can't control. And how we hold those things has to do with how much we will suffer. Can I learn to be with what's happening and to let it unfold and to not hold my breath and wait until it's over? Now, I love the author Rilke. Um, It's one of my favorite authors. Um, Late 19th, early 20th century. um, And um, Rainier Maria Rilke. um, Rainier Maria Rilke. Is that right? And um, he wrote this book, that, it was a collection of letters that he wrote to a, another person who was a poet who was much younger called Letters to a Young Poet. And this is one of my favorite quotes of all time, but it just, it just is so much about this. He says, why do you want to shut out of your life any uneasiness, any misery, any depression, since after all, you don't know what work these conditions are doing inside you? Why do you want to persecute yourself with the question of where this is all coming from and where it's going? Since you know, after all, that you are in the midst of transitions and you wished for nothing so much as to change. If there's anything unhealthy in your reactions, just bear it in mind that sickness is the means by which an organism frees itself from that which is alien. So one must simply help it to be sick, to have its whole sickness and to break out with it, since that is the way it gets better. There are things we learn from our suffering that are invaluable to our growth. Now, we don't do things to intentionally make ourselves suffer. Life will give us plenty. But when those things do arise... How we hold it has a lot to do with whether or not we will learn from that moment and it will help us morph into a person that can just be with what's going on. What is it like to be in the midst of turmoil but to be settled and anchored? That is possible. That's certainly not me every time things are unsettled. 
But I have experienced this. And I've also read people that have experienced it way more. To actually be in the midst of turmoil and to be settled and anchored and to be clear in your mind. How much does the world need people like that? Who can be there and have the space because of the practice that they've done to actually be the voice at work, at home, in the street that isn't just being a reactionary, that is able to be calm and clear. Because the practice usually starts with us, selfishly. I want to suffer less. But the practice moves outward into how can this actually be a benefit to society? Because there's a lot of things we could be doing tonight to go and help San Francisco clean up a neighborhood or do something for a different population. What are we doing here? We're learning about how we can be with what's happening and hold it so we can be that sort of person in society, in our relationships, in our family. So how do we actually hold things? Like, what is the process? Well, the first thing we talked about was not wishing it away. Like when you're in a car and you're going somewhere and you're little and you just say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know? like, is this trial over yet? Is this done yet? Is this done yet? It's not wrong to want something bad to stop happening, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that you can't wish today. You can't wish your friend to get well. You can't wish that whatever's happening at work will instantly change. And one of the best things to start with is to don't focus on the subsiding. Whatever you put your mind on energizes it. And if I energize my nose itching, it will keep itching. But don't energize the subsiding. And then let things be a curiosity, like the curious artist or the curious scientist that's watching things unfold. How will this unfold? And paying attention as it unfolds, letting things have its oxygen. And learning a new type of enjoyable through this. There are ways to enjoy things that I didn't realize that could be possible. Different shades of enjoyment. And we've all experienced this. I mean, you know, like you take a, let's say, a four-year-old and you put them down on the ground and you give them two plates. And one plate has this intricate, um, you know, um, pastry that's savory, that um, is a reduction of mushrooms and onions and garlic and what have you. That's just beautiful, you know. And the other plate is a giant pile of sugar that's been dyed with pink dye, you know. Now, what one is the four-year-old going to want to eat, you know? I mean, it's just like, it's a crazy straw, like on steroids. It's just a pile, and they're just going to go for it, you know. The, 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 the level and type of appreciation has not matured yet in that area. And so it's hard to describe to them anything about it. You can use all the words on earth and they're going to go for the sugar. And that's how we are with different things that we want to skip through in life. That it's just like, this is, this is something I need to skip through in life. I don't like to do the dishes. I don't like to vacuum. I don't like to do my taxes. I don't like to talk to this person. All these things are practice for being with other human beings.
There's people we want to skip through. There's people that we're not so, oh, here's this really fun person. They've got a bright face and they're, they're interesting and they get me and I get them and I'll give them all my attention. And then here's this other person. Well, you know, I should be a nice Buddhist and I'll, you know, I'll say the right things and I'll kind of skip through this thing and blah, 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 blah. But I can't wait until it goes somewhere else. You know, can, can, can we actually learn to be with what is right in front of us through these practices. It's like having a tool in your tool belt that you can't even imagine. I mean, you go, imagine going back to the 18th century and someone who's working in carpentry and they've got their tools and you show up with this you know, 21st century tool belt. I mean, they wouldn't be able to comprehend those tools. And that's how these things are, but they have to be able to have the oxygen to unfold and to be experienced. And they can only unfold and be experienced by being right there with what is going on and not wishing away moments. Our suffering has a lens and it has a lot to do with how we hold things. I don't know if you've ever been in an experience with someone where you traveled with them and they thought something was just unbearable and you thought it was like no big deal. You know, you're just like, eh, the airplane's fine. Eh, the taxi's fine. Oh, the hotel room's fine. Oh, the meal's fine. And they're just like, oh, this is like, oh, I can't, you know. And yet the things that I suffer with, that I find to be unbearable, I can easily think of at least one person in my life that doesn't think that's such a big thing, you know. Our suffering has a lens. And that's one of the first things to realize. Our suffering has a lens. And from the realization that our suffering has a lens, we can more easily start to let go of the assurity of our suffering. The assurity of our suffering. I'm suffering, but is it a fixed property? My nose is itching, should I necessarily be suffering? This person is acting this way in the meeting. Should I necessarily be bothered? I am bothered. It's okay to, to feel inside, yeah, I'm bothered. But the, the, the subsiding and the integration of the suffering has a lot to do with whether or not I feel that it's a fixed property. This person is annoying. End of story. Every single person on the planet would find them annoying. They just are annoying. That's the definition. In the dictionary, there's that person equals annoying. That's it. Or do I realize that my suffering has a lens? I mean, everyone's had the opportunity to have a friend, and then you talk about a third person, and you're like, you know, I don't like that person. That person's up to no good. And the other person's like, I think they're really great. You're like, you're crazy. A different lens for what's actually happening. You know, they, they did the SCAR study. I don't know if you ever heard of the SCAR study, where it was a really interesting study in the early 90s where they um, had people go into this room and interact with people, but before they went in, they, they had 20 different people and 20 different cases where they set them in the room. And before they went in the room, they took the person's face and they put this really just grotesque scar on the side of their face like like they had been cut but then it healed but it's not done healing you know and then they had them and they said I want you to go in the room and interact with people and you know hang out for 
period of time and come back and then we'll talk about how, how individuals react to a person who has a scar on their face. And then right before they went in the room, the, they always had a makeup person come and do some touch-up on the, on the scar um, and get it just right. And then they let them in the room and they went in the room and they would interact with people. It was a waiting room actually uh, for like, a, I think a large office space or something, interviewees and meetings and whatever, you know. And um, everyone would come out and they'd be like, you know, yeah, people kept looking at the scar and some people wouldn't look me in the face and other people wouldn't even talk to me and blah, 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 blah. What they didn't tell the people is that person that did the touch-up right before they went in the room completely removed the scar. And everything that they experienced was actually their lens, assuming that people thought that they had a scar, you know, looking at a person that had a scar. Our, our suffering has a lens. And so how we hold things has a lot to do with um, that suffering subsiding, being integrated, being understood, and maybe not even being defined as suffering. And letting ourselves be with the thing that's right in front of us, just letting it be, eating our dinner. I realized even here at Zen Center, I lived next door in an apartment, and I realized at one point in time that I hadn't eaten dinner in some time without doing something else. Like eating dinner and reading the newspaper, eating dinner and listening to a podcast, eating dinner and listening to music, eating dinner and talking to somebody, eating, you know. And so for one solid week, I just ate dinner, just me and dinner. You know, just like. And it, 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 was, it, really, it, it became a different experience it started to come alive. Washing the dishes. All these things can actually be teachers for how to just be with what's going on. And the more that things get shiny in our universe and get really fun and immediate and you can touch them and you can change things and they're virtual and all the rest of it, the more important it is to come back to being able to do just the simple thing right now that's right in front of us. Because you know what? If I get too incredibly bored with all those things and shuffle through them, I'm going to end up doing that with people. And I'm going to also do that with stuff about my own personal life that I don't like. And I'm going to learn how to shuffle through that and just think about the stuff in my head that I, makes me feel beautiful, strong, and brave. And I'm never really going to be with my sadness. I'm never really going to be with my d- disappointment and be like, okay, yeah, humans get disappointed. I don't need to go drink two cups of coffee and listen to music. I'm going to actually just be with this and just do the next thing and let myself just be with what is happening right now. We see others all the time. We see other people all the time that are trapped in a story. Every single one of us here knows a person in your life that has a story that you think is a little absurd but they believe that story. They're trapped in it. Whether it's a story about you, or it's a story about work, or it's a story about your family, or it's a story about society, or it's a story about whatever. We all know someone that's trapped in a story. And realizing that we're all that same person. That we've all bought into absurdities. And not out of spite or malice, out of survival. But the more we can realize that, and the more we can let those things settle, the more we can just be with what's actually happening.
and let this, this moment right here be enough and not wish it away, even if our nose is itching. And engage in daily practices of letting right now be enough and making the bed and nothing more. I want to end with a koan. It's called Joshu Washes the Bowl. A monk asked Zhao Xu to teach him. Zhao Xu was a well-known Zen master. And Zhao Xu said, Have you eaten your meal? And the monk replied, Yes, I have. Then go wash your bowl, said Zhao Xu. At that moment, the monk was enlightened.